Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. It is January 17th, 2024. I am still as pumped as ever for the new year. I'm your host, Richard Haynes, if you already don't know of Haynes Real Estate, where we're here in greater Los Angeles serving the greater South Bay markets, but with a focus on this podcast, Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, Redondo Beach, and the Palos Verdes Peninsula. I've got another solo episode for you guys today. Guests will be on the show in the future, but whenever we kick off a year, we've always got a ton of information for you. Last episode was about my fearless predictions and the year-end numbers, final results for the South Bay Marketplace. Today, we're going to cover new California laws and their impacts here on the South Bay real estate market and beyond. And of course, in a couple weeks, I'll have our affordability podcast, et cetera, et cetera. But today, I'm getting you some new info. I'm going to make it quick in microcast format, so you're getting some great info to run with to kick off the year, and I'll be doing that in the next episode as well with the affordability index. But without further ado, I'm going to get into a handful of new California laws. Now, each and every year, the state has hundreds, actually, I don't know if it's hundreds, but it's tens, if not a hundred or hundreds of new laws that debut in our state or bills passed that have pages and pages of texts that ultimately form new laws throughout our state. I've hand-plucked seven new laws this year that are going to affect the real estate market, and there are more laws that affect the market, but I'm picking out a few that I think will have the most impact. So I'm going to share with you guys the new law. And then I'm going to give you a quick two cents on it, and let's have some fun. So first up, there is a new law in California on vacation rentals known as SB or Senate Bill 644. And what effectively this bill does is it requires short-term rentals or hosting platforms, or third-party booking services to allow consumers to cancel reservations within 24 hours without penalty and refund the full amount, no questions asked, uh, in their original form of payment. Now, this applies to vacation rentals because it's rentals of less than 30 days that were booked 72 hours prior to the stay. And at first, I thought that this was a big deal because I mis misread the text thinking someone could cancel 24 hours before they show up to their vacation rental and get a full refund on a 29-day stay. That is not the law. I've had to reread it, and it's you are allowed to cancel and get a full refund if you book that reservation and cancel less than 24 hours later. Like, hey, I booked it. I called my wife. I'm really excited to take her to San Diego for a weekend. And she goes, oh my gosh, you forgot. It's my mom's birthday that weekend. We can't do it. And you go right back in and you cancel it in under 24 hours. You get a full refund. That's protecting consumers. It's 
a win for people, for the little guys getting their money back, and then, of course, keeping the big giants in check uh, for charging processing fees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So something to note if you are a small South Bay vacation uh, rental landlord. Some of you may manage your rentals beyond VRBO or Airbnb. Know that if someone books and cancels in twenty in less than 24 hours, you need to refund that money in full if it is ahead of their stay by 72 hours. So a little confusing. There's law one of seven. Let's move on to the next one, which is a little bit more exciting. Um, this new act has a ring to it known as the Affordable Housing on religious and higher education lands, Senate Bill 4. This bill is dubbed as, in quotes, yes, in God's backyard, end quote, which allows places of worship and nonprofit colleges to build affordable housing on their land. Since many faith-based and nonprofit colleges are on land not zoned for housing, many experience massive challenges in rezoning their land to build homes. For instance, you guys, a lot of churches may be zoned for church use and not residential housing, so these religious institutions have to go through onerous zone changes and a lot of fights within their cities to be able to build on their properties that have a lot of land to do it. And of course, this also applies to nonprofit higher education as well. So the result of this law is any organization building this type of affordable housing gets streamlined approval if they maintain those new homes for a minimum of 55 years for rental properties and 45 years for, for properties that can be owned. So I don't know if that makes sense. If you want the streamline approval with this new law to build on your place of worship or nonprofit higher education, you can build and pass all sorts of CEQA items, all sorts of city requirements. If you have rental properties or for sale properties, they have to be affordable for 55 years and 45 years. Some quick thoughts on this. There'll be a lot of people on both sides of this law. Proponents will argue that it unlocks over 170,000 acres of land throughout the state to help with the housing crisis here in California. And opponents will argue that local control is being revoked from cities and that unintended consequences to neighborhoods will happen without thoughtful input from their residents and local stakeholders. So that is a new law to watch out for. Our markets in the South Bay, many residents are very active. I can see them seeing a huge church property wanting to add 20 affordable housing units being up in arms. My hope is some people would see that as some great relief but I'm not going to opine any further on this. It's a new law for you guys to be aware of to look at your local religious institutions and nonprofit higher education. Next law up, number three, landlord-tenant security deposits limited to one month's rent assembly bill number 12. Beginning July 1st in 2024, California landlords will be limited to charging tenants a maximum of one month's rent for a residential unit. 
I covered this in an Instagram post last year, and I believe I covered it in a previous podcast, but essentially there have been some landlords who the state believes has been charging too much rent. Uh, I want you guys to know security deposits were maxed out at two months rent and maxed out at three months rent for furnished rentals. So that has is now all being brought down to one month's rent, but that does exclude property owners who own two or less properties with less than four units. You can charge more than one month's rent. However, you cannot do it if the tenant is a member of the military. And then, of course, under no circumstances can corporations or REITs skirt the law in any way possible. So that is a new one to look out for. I will say I've had tenants sign $7,000 a month leases and they owe their first month's rent and a two-month security deposit. And they go, holy moly, I'm cutting a $21,000 check. Um, It can get expensive. So again, not going to really opine on the law. Um, but it is a win for consumers and bringing down expensive security deposits in our already expensive real estate markets. Moving on to number four of seven, landlord-tenant yet again. This is known as the Tenant Protection Act or revisions, excuse me, to the Tenant Protection Act, SB 567. So the Tenant Protection Act was passed a few years ago, which implemented statewide rent control. So in the past, there was just rent control in specific cities like City of Los Angeles or San Francisco or West Hollywood or Santa Monica. And then there were lots of cities that had no rent control, namely many of our South Bay cities, Manhattan Beach, PV, Redondo Beach. This is revising and making more clear some of the laws in the Tenant Protection Act. So Let me read it to you. Effective April 1st of this year, SB 567 will revise and tighten requirements for landlords to end a tenancy under the Tenant Protection Act in the following situations. So a no-fault eviction based on an owner move-in and a no-fault eviction based on substantial remodeling. So there was some confusion around this law about people who can skirt the laws with giving tenants notice if they're moving in themselves or doing substantial remodeling. And there were people using this in a frivolous nature, so to speak, saying that they were going to move in or saying they were going to remodel, and they didn't. So the state made it more clear the penalties. So people who material violate no-fault evictions by improperly terminating these tenancies that are rent control or raising rent beyond the maximum allowable rent, they are liable for this. Actual damages to the tenant reasonable attorney fees and costs to the tenant, up to three times the actual damages if they are willful violations. They're also liable for punitive damages, and the attorney general is authorized to seek injunctive relief under this law. So this is a dense new law with a lot of revisions. I encourage you to read up on it if you're a landlord or a tenant. Um, But my quick thoughts here are it's really even more red tape for both tenants and landlords to navigate in California. Um, Generally speaking, a lot of economists believe that rent control is counter-effective 
um, to a properly functioning rental market. And when you have all these crazy laws where you basically need to hire an attorney just to operate a rental unit as a landlord or call an attorney uh, for any questions as a tenant, there's just a lot of red tape here in our state of California. And this adds even more. Um, next up, Law 5 of 7, ADUs may be sold separately as a condo. This is Assembly Bill 1033. This is really interesting, you guys, because if you're familiar with some of the blogs I've written on North Redondo or uh, some investment advice I've given to you of going, hey, people, buy R2, R3 lots and build townhomes, those can be sold off as separate units, building three units on a property that has an old beach bungalow on it, and that's legal to do. What you can't do or couldn't do previously was convert a garage or build a freestanding ADU and back and then resell that ADU separately. The state is now allowing you to do that, but there are some conditions that apply that basically it's not going to happen here in the South Bay and probably not in any of the areas with the exception of the most uh, progressive markets here in our state. But let me give you the four conditions. First off, your city or local government must opt into this ordinance. Good luck with seeing that happen here um, at the Beach Cities or Palos Verdes. Number two, the entire property must be transferred uh, as a condominium complex and comply with condo laws. This is very confusing for the average person, but we do have consultants here in the South Bay who do condo um, conversions and do them for developers in North Redondo building townhomes. Number three, lien holders must consent to the establishments of condos. So if you have a million dollar loan with Bank of America, they need to consent to this condominium complex. And then finally, if the property is within an HOA, then that HOA must approve it as well. So if you live in Palm Springs with a house around a uh, a golf course and you have an HOA with all the houses around the golf course and you convert your garage and you want to sell your garage off separately, that HOA uh, must approve it as well. So um, my quick thoughts here are this is really much ado about nothing, but if you do find out your locality does opt in and you own and control a piece of, uh, of a property where you can build an ADU and resell it and keep your home, um, it is very interesting and there are consultants you can hire who will uh, drop in an ADU uh, or excuse me, HOA docs and CCNRs and get it done for you. Moving on to our second to last law, flipper disclosures for properties resold, AB 968. Effective July 1st of this year, sellers of residential one to four properties who accept an offer within 18 months from the date of when title was transferred must make the following disclosures, and there are three of them. Number one, disclose repairs and renovations with contracted contractors. Number two, disclose the name of each contractor and their contact information. Number three, disclose any permits obtained, or if not obtained, the contact of the party who can provide those. So you guys, this is basically just to protect consumers from flippers. It is codifying the laws of what needs to be disclosed so that people don't violate it. Now, California law already states that 
sellers of real property need to disclose all known material facts that could affect the value of the property. And all of the, and these three items they are now putting in for flipper disclosures in this new law, in theory, are material facts and should always be disclosed. But it was never written out specifically, and now it is specifically written out for flippers. And if you're a homeowner who buys a house and you get transferred a year later and you're selling and you did a kitchen remodel, you need to abide by this as well. The good thing is, your California Association of Realtors have you covered. Uh, uh, I'm a member and 99% of realtors out there, I feel like, and that's just a made up number, but almost everyone here in the South Bay uses the California Association of Realtor contract forms. They are updating those so that if you are flipping or under 18 months, they're going to tell you what you need to disclose and have you covered. All in all, this is a win-win for both parties, the sellers and the buyers, fewer lawsuits, more disclosure. I am all for it. And moving on to the last new law here in California, residential listings capped at 24 months, Assembly Bill 1345. So you guys, this is if you sign a listing agreement with realtors like me. In the past, there was no law on residential listing agreements that capped the length of a listing agreement. So an unknowing consumer could have signed a listing agreement with a scrupulous agent, if you want to call them that, for 10 years. And you could be stuck in a listing agreement to sell your property for 10 years with that agent if you didn't read the contract close enough. And if you ever sell it, you're going to owe them a commission. California has now gotten rid of that, and it maxim it uh, puts a cap on listing agreements at 24 months. And this law makes listings. It doesn't just go, oh, if your listing is longer than two years, it just defaults down to two years. No, the law makes listings signed beyond 24 months unlawful unenforceable and void. So if you sign a listing agreement for two years and one month, you could get out of that listing agreement on day two. So there are some additional details where if you are an LLC or a corporation or a partnership, this does not apply to you, um, et cetera, et cetera. So read the bill if you're interested, but for the most part, you now know you cannot be in a listing agreement with an agent to sell your property beyond two years. I think it's a great new law to protect consumers from entering into uber-long contracts, which probably don't do them any good, and it's a great new law for all of you here in the South Bay. So there you have it, guys. A little bit drier of an episode, but these legal updates really do matter. So if there's any of those laws um, that speak to you, feel free to DM me, send me an email, call me, and we can dive in further, or I can give you the name of the bill again, and you should dive into the text yourself or hire an attorney to go through it for you. There you have it, guys. Hopefully uh, a little uh, uh, under 20 minutes or right around 20 minutes. I am wishing you a continued great start to your 2024. Good luck navigating those new real estate laws. And I will see you in a couple weeks on the next episode of the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. Take care. <laughs>